2: Hey, hey, hey. Welcome to Beer Assassins Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. This is our special live Thanksgiving week. It's uh, November 26, 2019. I'm Jimmy Carboni. I'm the host here on Heritage Radio Network. We've got some great guests joining us tonight to talk about Josh Bernstein's new book, Drink Better Beer. So let's go around the room. Everyone introduce themselves, please.
3: Hello, I am Josh Bernstein.
1: I am here today to talk about my book. Drink Better Beer. Drink Better Beer.
4: Uh, Jason Saylor,
2: uh, owner of Strong Road Brewery.
1: And I'm Drew Kosick. I'm the head brewer at Circa Brewing Co.
2: So we've, we've uh, been following this book. We, we, I've had it. I got it at the opening uh, at Wild East Brewing a month or two ago.
3: Yeah, Jimmy actually bought it with real money. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't Probably. ask for a press copy. Thank you, Jimmy. And
2: you, you signed it. But um, what was interesting is as we planned the show, I asked Josh, you know, who, who in the New York City area w- was featured in it? Because what's a, what's great about this book, I mean, one of your, your first big hits was the Complete.
3: Yeah, Complete Beer, beer course. course,
2: yeah. And I feel like in that, you kind of cover what everyone used to cover, like how to make beer, beer styles, beers of the world. But now this one, is it's kind of like, this is like, wow, where beer's at? I mean, you have 100 experts in here in all different fields. And I'm just like, this is a really cool book. So It
3: was a lot of work. My brain almost exploded, but it didn't. But yeah, <laughs> I think you brought up a good point that I think, uh, well, Complete Beer Course came out in 2013. And back then, we were still kind of trying to figure out what styles were and what they meant. And that was the language that we spoke about beer. It was like Pilsner, Lager, IPA, different IPA, other different IPA. And we got to understand it from there. And now I think things have just been so kind of uh, spun up, blitzed out. Everything is fair game. And I think style, it's kind of hard, A, to talk about style specifically anymore. They're good for a framework, I think. But as far as being like, it was just true to like really Franconian color beer. And it's like, nobody really cares right now. Or a very small subset actually cares about that specifically. And what people care about is like, does this taste good? Does it have a great label? What's it mean? Can I buy it in a can? And so I think the goal for me was not to have people chase down certain beers because that's silly now. I mean, beer releases happen every day, multiple times a week. And so for me to say the same idea of a, uh, go drink these beers, you'll understand what's happening out there. That's kind of silly right now. I mean, like Jason, even you guys for a small brewery. How many beers do you guys come out with on a...
4: I mean, we, we rotate through a lot. I mean, no. you know, um, over the years that we've been open, I mean, we've done 100A. But, you know, for for us, style, we don't always talk about styles as like that. Like, what's this, you know, uh, is it a German pilsner versus a Czech pilsner? Oh. We you will use those kind of as like frameworks, uh, as things that we can um, kind of use as a kind of a base knowledge about a certain what we're trying to maybe accomplish with our beers because we do a lot of traditional styles, air quote, traditional styles, uh, and kind of more simple beers. Um, so when we are trying to come up with something new, you know, we think about what exactly it is we want to, uh, want to accomplish and working and, and kind of having knowledge about styles helps us at least kind of get into an area or at least have an initial conversation about like what we're talking about. But we know it's like, you know, we want, uh, you know, a certain blonde ale that is dry as this and that, uh, we can kind of go, you know, pull back, uh, or like, uh, use that knowledge to kind of ground ourselves but then we want to uh you know go from there and explore a little bit more so.
2: there, there's a couple areas in the book that just jumped out at me and i want to dive into it it seemed like right in the middle i mean first it covers so many areas you've got a great bottle shop in oregon city beer shop and you end with new th- newer things like cool ships and cool yeast like like Quebec. but when i opened the book it, it seemed like one of the larger sections was the sensory talk let, let's talk a little bit about that, and the brewers here can join in. Sensory seems really important. You, you gave a, a, a real good section to people at Allagash who are working in that area.
3: Yeah, I think I think for Sensory, it's one of these sort of hidden levers that's so important to what beer is all about. That quality control is really sort of essential to making sure that a beer tastes great, that it tastes great multiple times, that the bottle's not going to explode, or the can's not going to explode. We've heard all this stuff recently of like fruit purees warming up and cans exploding or fizzing over, and I mean... A good quality control department ensures that things like that will never happen. I mean, Algash is putting you know, these highly carbonated beers inside thick-walled glass bottles with uh, cork and cages on there to ensure it doesn't happen. But, I mean, I've had beers like that still that they've, like, exploded at times, too, and, like, shot glass shards everywhere. So I think it's really (laughs) important to figure out what's actually happening. So for me, I mean... Like I'm not a sensory scientist. I didn't go to college for that. Hey, I haven't I go to college? Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. Ohio. Nobody cares anymore. But uh, <laughs> the point is, I wanted to actually sit through it all as sort of a beer focus as a beer lover, a beer writer, but even I had no idea what was going on there too. And I think it's just such a level of um scientific expertise, and I mean they're not just testing to make sure like this beer tastes bad. It's like it doesn't it meets a threshold it sits within a threshold. And so and that's a very finite threshold and like the tasting panels are so attuned to these beers that you can't tell a difference but I mean something maybe slightly elevated and that too. Because I think we're taught that we're taught so much like, oh, this beer's off, it's bad. And those are super blunt things. When a beer's bad, it's really bad. But at, at
1: that yeah. point you're looking consistency too. Yeah. <clears throat> and that's the real key is and uh, I say this as a brewer who comes from the opposite end of the spectrum, right? Because I'm literally the only brewer in-house. I am the quality control panel. I am the keg at, washer. At Circa at Circa, at, at Circa Brewing is Company. That terrifying? <laughs> Absolutely wholeheartedly. Let me stress that to the <laughs> utmost degree. It is utterly terrifying, but also beyond invigorating because... I mean, what else? It's the most incredible thing to care about in the entire world from my, my limited perspective. But on the other hand, yeah, making sure that I'm quality control is a key component. And that goes right down to, you have a section in the book too, we're talking about draft line maintenance and all the other aspects of it. And uh, and Jason and I just went through a class with draft line maintenance uh, with the New York State Brewers Association. And all these factors play into what is the perception of the consumer? And it's wholeheartedly the most important aspect of it because sometimes you don't get a second perception. Sometimes that's all you get.
3: And yeah, and I think, too, with the aspect on there, too, is that we, the consumer doesn't take enough power that they own. I think all these things that happen in the beer world right now, things have been pushed out there, different styles, all this craziness. We get so excited for the shiny new object that we never, the next one, we never stop to ask ourselves, is this the right way this one should be presented? And oftentimes, I mean, if you're at a bar and a beer tastes bad, I mean, the blame is always going to go to the brewer. I mean, Sadly, after, like yes. exactly to the brewer on there. But maybe they don't clean the draft lines. Maybe something was wrong. Maybe the beer sat, along for, sat around for too long. And so you can ask yourself. I mean, I just feel that we have so much ownership with our food that we're like, oh, this burger didn't taste good. These fries weren't crispy. And you know that, but we don't know enough or feel confident enough or even feel like we should, you know, stir the nest. But, I mean, it's not like consumer capitalism activism, but it is. I mean, you vote with your wallet. And if they're not doing a great job, I mean – Especially no, with
1: seventy five hundred breweries around, it's yeah, yeah no, it's true. Uh,
4: yeah, I mean, it's important. I mean, for for us and I, you know, Drew. I think, I mean, you are the the you are the only brewer, but I also think that you have an entire staff of bartenders and stuff that you uh, can utilize. Very smart stuff ones Because we we I mean we do we do we don't have anything that's kind of um, uh, regimented like Allagash, Obviously, I mean they're yeah. they're on a different level. Um, but you know, we, I have my, uh, staff taste the beers all the time. You know, we, we walk them through, I give them tastes of the beer while it's in fermentation to really got a sense of like wh- how things are progressing and stuff. And I, 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 like to see that. Um, and you know, it's, it's important to have a, a you know, people that do understand. I mean, recently we had, a, a beer, um, that had an infection, uh, and my brewer, uh, is just so in tune with letting people know and, and expressing what's going on that he contacted, you know, it was just like he was like, hey, just wanted to let you know that there was an issue um, and, you know, wanted to, to get it out there. It's, it's important for everyone to, to be able to uh, talk about that. That's
2: great. Josh, in, in the book, you really talk about um, kind of special moments that you know, define people's you know, personal journeys in beer. Um, is there a moment that stands out for you uh, in, on your perspective in beer? I mean, I know in, in college you started tasting beers, but...
3: I get, Yeah, I mean, you do taste, you know, taste beers the first time you drink beer. There's a special moment on there, too, that...
2: You know, I think I talk about in the book, too,
3: a little bit, but I mean... You know, like that moment where I'm like, beer could be better, beer could be something... I think it was just, you know, for me, I think it was a ser- cascading series of moments. Being in New York City was so kind of key, because our bodegas are awesome. For listeners not, like, aware... Bodegas are kind of your 24 hour convenience store. They're like your. As long as
1: their package on date is correct.
3: They're your therapist, (laughs) convenience store, they're everything all together. But I mean, but you could go there. Back in the early 2000s, I was here buying beers. You can buy a single beer single cigarettes, a single roll of toilet paper, everything you want to do to really explore <laughs> A cat, most likely. A cat, yeah, <laughs> a cat as well. But, you know, just being able to go there and try things one after the other, I mean, everybody's like, oh, you're an expert. And I'm like, I drink a lot of beer and I ask a lot of questions. I think that, for me, is just sort of this endless curiosity about what it was all about. I mean, there was not always, like, one beer that was there. I mean, if I go back, I mean, it was awesome being 17 and jumping on a trampoline in the snow while drinking Bush Light. But, I mean, was that sort of an epiphany? It was more like the party aspect of beer. And I think beer for me went from being sort of a, you know, it's still, I always remember beers, people drink beer to have good times and have conversations. That's why I always try to remember. And I try never to get too sort of didactic or driving down about all this stuff. Jason,
2: let's talk about the beer that you made. What is this beer?
4: So this is a trophy cat. This is our 4.2% blonde ale, um, strong rope, strong, strong rope blonde ale. Yep. Uh, and this is something that we're really trying to, for us, uh, you know, kind of going back to uh, much more, you know, we like to do a lot of uh, uh, kind of simple and, and, and kind of classic styles, if you know, if you will. Um, uh, but we want to also uh, kind of bring our own our own thought and our own process to them. Um, so this one is, a, you know, it's pretty light. It's actually relatively dry. We want to make them crisper. There's a lot of people that, that are kind of elevating uh, Pilsners and Kolsch's and other things, and you know and I, and I absolutely love those beers, but i 'm also just I feel like Blonde blondale is getting the the you know short end of the stick, and you know no one really wants to talk about them or really really cares, or they overhop them and it becomes just basically a pale ale in a way no, right. really. just yeah.
2: more, sorry and, and drew, I just want to get bring you in so it also turns about like that that moment that that got you going. you were a lawyer.
1: Tell oh, us a yeah. little bit about
2: how you went from being a lawyer to being a brewer at a brewery in New York City.
1: So, yeah, there were – well, I mean, how much time do we have? Everybody wants to listen to a three-and-a-half-hour podcast, I'm sure. But uh, <laughs> but in reality, um, I, I one thing that happened to me was the legal field – just wasn't what did it for me and we we all have those moments where we're learning about things mine unfortunately came uh numerous years into a very heavily indebted situation (laughs) but i was lucky enough what really did it for me for beer because i was a home brewer for most of my or all of my legal career for most of my life uh post 21 and uh, what did it for me was I actually lived in Poland. I was lucky enough to get a Fulbright scholarship out there. I had two best friends from Belgium, both named Bart. Uh, shout out to the Bart's out there. And Bart. Uh, <laughs> oh, the Bart's. They're going to love this. I'm going to send this to them. Uh, and they literally, they came back from Belgium to Poland to make a long story short. We're so excited to bring beer to an American, first American they had ever really hung out with. And, uh, and they basically got to the point where they were fighting not over what beer to pour, not over what glass to pour it in, but the angle at which he was pouring it, and I'm talking screaming in Flemish. What's the right angle? <laughs> well, I couldn't figure it out because I didn't speak enough Flemish at the 33 time. Thirty-three degrees. I would, I'd go forty-five. But all right, fair enough. Oh. Ah, but regardless, oh. I know, I know the fight, the fight. In begins. Which glass? The fight <laughs> Exactly, exactly. And that, that was when I was, and I'm talking, I'm twenty-two years old, twenty-three years old, and I'm saying. Holy crap, this is real? This what, is beer And then we'll get
2: back to you. Okay, so that's a good start. You got inside of Addoz. You so, used
3: to get paid by talking words. <laughs> like, the more you talk, the more you get frequently, paid. Quite words, frequently. Then we added. Josh, for you, <laughs> yeah. um,
2: was there a moment when, when you were writing the book that you had, like, an aha moment, something that you didn't know? Like, like I keep going back to, wow, there's a whole sensory section about Allagash in the book. Was, what, was there another moment where you really just, like, said, wow, this is going on, I didn't realize it? Well, we're I think... pursue I, it further. Yeah, I think part of the thing, if you think
3: back maybe 10 years ago in America, it was like everything got more bitter. They were like, what? 50 IBUs, IPA. No, hold my beer. 100 IBUs. Well, you know what? We're going to 1,000 IBUs on there too. So the more bitter you were, the more awesome the beer was. And like people were like, I drank this beer so bitter. And like I'm a true beer drinker now. And it was just like super indicative moment of American excess. And so... We rolled that back, but then I started watching. Things got less bitter, less bitter, more juicy, softer, tropical in the IPA vein. Then all of a sudden, you started watching things creep up again. It was like, wait, you hopped it, you double dry hopped it? I'm going to triple dry hop this. Wait, yeah. let's quadruple dry hop. And like, wait, now maybe we'll quintuple dry hop. And like, but at what point we never stopped to ask ourselves, quadruple what? And it was any good. So I talked to Dr. Tom Schellhammer from Oregon State University about this. And essentially, I mean, it's a waste of money. You know, it sells beer. It sells beer, but so I'm but, just gonna put out my brain But it's a waste. There. But it's a waste of money. You're basically dumping in plant material in there, and then there's and after a while, it's like how much more aroma can you crank out of there, and you can't. You're dumping extra plant material in there, and you know hops have some sugar, and so you know it started like making fermentation creep so up again. Hashtag
1: bioaccumulation. So, yeah, so ABV, cleaning out your tank.
3: ABV started creeping up. And started creating diastole. So it's like in this pursuit of sort of um, more, 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 we created more problems altogether. And just this idea altogether for me, it was kind of like, why are we chasing this? We just never stopped to ask ourselves, like, why? Why did double dry hop become a thing? And we never asked ourselves, what was the baseline of hopping? I just think that's so much about like where beer is gone. Is that I saw like, we're chasing excess at this moment again, a way to separate ourselves. I mean, I got a Goza recently it was like an imperial goza, and on the can, it was like double fruited, like double blackberry, double curranted. I'm like, double what? And but but double seems like it's better, it's like the double burger, triple burger, burger. To, yeah. But so I think that type with of, five
1: stars, that type of stuff for me.
3: But I mean, it's like it's not calling brewers out, it's just curious, like why this is why is this happening? If we need to, if you need to sell it on excess to sell the beer, like
2: why? Well, that's a good point. And, and uh, Jason, you you're, to me, your beers are really balanced, but yeah. your focus is. New York State, hops, and malt. So talk about the hops that you're getting and how you see, are hop, do hops have to be bitter? That seems to be a conversation that some people like hops, but, but when they think it's going to be bitter, they don't like bitter.
4: I mean, the, 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 the chemical and oil, like the makeup of the, the hop, it's it's to every, every brewer has their own desires and needs. They want high oil, they want a little lower oil, they want alphas, they want, they don't, they, you know, it it, it depends. So at each person's, uh you know, predilection is a little different. Um, for, for us, it's, it's not about, you know, for us, it's just what, how, what are we getting? I mean, since we do work with New York ingredients, it's kind of, what are we getting? How can we make it? How can we make the beers that we want? Um, and, and, but I agree is like, I don't, you know, doing things for excess is not our real mission and what we like to drink. And, you know, with so many breweries out there, you don't. You know, everyone says you have to have an IPA, you have to do this, you have to do that, and I don't think you do. There are niches out there. If you want to, you can open a brewery and have uh, a portfolio that is not driven by those things, because people will find you. People are looking for other things.
3: But I will say that I remember very vividly right when you guys opened up, Jason. I was like, "Where's your IPA on tap?" And we're sitting there at the bar. I'm like, gotta have at least one IPA. People are going to ask that. And I mean, like a woman, I could have if I could have paid her to make my point, I would have paid her. A woman walked in, right as I'm telling you that she's like, "What do you have? What IPAs do you have on tap?" And it's just like none. And she
4: was like, "All
1: right." <laughs> I thought door. you were
3: going to say you had an IPA, but
2: it didn't taste like one. No,
3: no.
4: no. I mean, yeah.
1: <laughs> but you know, what, right? You I, know what the beauty of it though is? I, I like to think that I, I've gone in an opposite direction, and that is to not detract because anybody who knows me I knows that I. Love Jason's business model and everything he's done. And with you, you intern there. I intern there. Full disclosure, I adore Strong Rope and I advertise <laughs> everybody to go there oh, for thanks. free. I pay me later, Jason. Uh, so what I think though is I, I brewed the opposite. I, I don't need to go into a niche. I don't need to um, find. Can you a little... ever
2: take the lawyer out of the brewer if he was a lawyer first?
1: <laughs> no, there's no taking but, that out. They ingrained that. You in don't my go brain. into
4: a niche, but I mean, you don't also. You're not. You're not. Doing triple dry hop exactly things. totally and no, no,
1: no sorry my my way of explaining this is is that there are now there's a pendulum swing that we can be on opposite ends of this pendulum I like to brew a brewing rainbow I'm not looking to be the extreme of right. everything I'd like to be everything in moderation whereas other people can then Andrew, develop so on, what on they're doing note, right
2: if we were having pizza at Circa Brewing right, right now in downtown Brooklyn. What beer that, that you brewed would we be drinking with it?
1: Well, first I would tell you um, these are all my children. Don't make me choose my favorite child. It, but it's always I, the it's, oldest. It's always the oldest. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, right now I'm really I'm zoning in hard on my lagers. and uh, right I in fact today to pair with pizza to pair with pizza. But in general, just because it's to me and to my customers has been some of the most fascinating beer. That can be produced, and there's nothing to hide behind. I think you guys can back that up. In fact, I think that is a line in the book that I, I've said myself multiple, multiple times you can't hide behind a lager. And so, Mexican lager is, is my go to. In fact, I brewed it today. So, hopefully,
2: that's great. So, so I'm going to more things in your book, Josh. More a, <laughs> things. I in really like your section on beer and food pairing. And oh, yeah. you featured Ivan Ramen and Kat at, at Ivan. Yeah. Why, why did you go to, down the route of pairing uh, beer with ramen? Because I think both
3: these things have been so dismissed as being lowbrow for so long they finally have a moment they've kind of rose risen in estimation that, you know, for me I had ramen back when I was when I was a little kid growing up, my dad would get us packs of ramen I'd be like, now we get to doctor it up with like garlic and onions. Don't ruin and spinach. the story for the book readers. And dude. I just got past that part. It's I know, great. but it's I was a just great like part of the book. But I was just like, it was like ramen to me has always been amazing, and beer to me has always been amazing. We asked the average person like before, ramen was just like crappy dorm food, and like it was like bare level sustenance. So I still think it's it's something that hasn't really come. Full understanding this is pretty awesome. So, I think like both and both ramen and beers have such sort of ability for experimentation that there's really no limit to what can be considered beer, no limit to what can be considered ramen. And so, I think both of them are just have such a deep kinship. The saltiness the ramen goes super well with uh sour beers, with pilsners, with so much stuff all together. And so, you look around and you're like, wow, these two things taste amazing. And, Kat, it. you know,
2: talk about building on the story of your book, Kat Brackett was so close to coming in, but super busy this week for thanksgiving jason any food and beer pairings anything that that strikes you because i I think your your beers to me are ultimately like very food friendly
4: i mean i think i mean personally i think that that food all basically beer and food are the best pairing out there you because you have so many options uh more so than than other uh uh Wines or spirits or whatever Mm. I just think I'm I am much more of A a pairing those two Um, I don't you know We just did a you know Maple squash brown ale um, uh, With honey nut squash And maple syrup from upstate (laughs) <laughs> uh, I think that's going to be great for your, uh, your uh, Thanksgiving dinner. So you should go ahead down and pick, pick up a crowler of that and <laughs> take that home. Uh, but yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm huge with, uh, I mean, we don't have any food there, but we have plenty of restaurants, and I'm always down to talk about uh, food and, and food yeah, parents.
3: I, but I think one of the things I tried to get across in the book too is just that we, we have always talked about, I think, why is there not as much beer in like fine dining and restaurants? I mean, mm. it's like the price points, man. That beer consumers or consumers will gladly pay 50 bucks for a bottle of wine with no context about how much that bottle of wine actually Mm. originally cost. But if you see a can of beer on the menu for like 12 bucks, you're like, holy crap, why am I paying 12 bucks for an 8% 16 ounce can of beer? Like, I know that thing cost me 16 bucks for a four pack. So you've got these ideas, the same margins that restaurants run on. You can't, the beer consumer is not willing to go along with it. There's almost like this like air of mystery with wine that, oh yes, Wine is worth all this grand expense, but beer is not. Even though beer is so much closer to like what happens in the kitchen, that beer's beer's an assemblage of ideas and ingredients by the chef, aka the brewer, and then same kinship with the kitchen staff as well that's
2: doing stuff. And so it's just crazy. To me. No, you, you covered so much in the book. Now, Did Dr- not, Drew made Jimmy. a point of reading eighty percent of the book before he yes. got here. Yes. So what? I'm so proud you of must have a question about the book or a section that jumped out at you. <laughs>
1: What I so question? Question definitely uh, beyond sections, though. Just the sheer concept of writing the first sentence because it's so. I also when I before I was a brewer, I read um, your previous this book. Is a question cover to cover. I know. Well, this is a long. Really this a is like a congressional hearing question here. Come on, guys, look at the background I got going. <laughs> so on
2: lawyers here. do get paid by the minute. When by the talk. minute,
1: guys. As it's Charles so Dixon's. How do you? the architecture. How do you create that? I mean, exactly. Crazy. Yeah. You have to it
3: was pretty daunting. I go back to, this is my fifth book now, which is nuts. Yeah. Um but I go back to my first book back in two thousand and Brewed Awakening came out in twenty eleven. So working on the book and like end of two thousand and nine when there were like maybe twelve hundred breweries in the country, fifteen hundred tops. So easy. It's like I'll include you, 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 you and you. But creating the architecture, I didn't think about that. I just kinda of wrote something. I'm like, This this is the book. My editor's like, The the writing's great, but this isn't a book. And so it's like Oh, so we spent probably three months back having to like rip everything up, create a book out of it all together. And that made me think that the architecture is the most important thing. So you have to have this overriding idea. And then for me, it's about creating you create, you, you build a house one room at a time, then you fill it up. Great. So you create that intro, then you you create sort of like what chapters you want, then you figure out what things you want to approach. Then you target your interview subjects and you go after them, then maybe they bring you in a different direction. And so it's. It really is. I mean, if you are if you think about a book as just writing it straight across, you're going to go crazy. But it's about one sentence, one chapter at a time. But besides that, I mean, it's it's hard. You almost have to get in a fugue state where you're just like, I'm writing words.
1: Did I use
2: citrusy too many
1: times? That's what I used to do with briefs, too. So that works out perfectly. <laughs> yeah.
2: Great question. Um, we're just going to take a short break with a little message. And we'll be back in a few minutes on Beer Sessions Radio. Happy Thanksgiving, kids. All right. Gobble, gobble. Woo. My name is Brandon Boyd,
1: co-owner of Roberta's, a super-duper awesome place. Roberta's is a very, 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 very proud sponsor of the Heritage Radio Network. We're also super awesome. Thank you, Heritage.
2: Hey, hey welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. It's our special live Thanksgiving week episode. Uh, Josh Bernstein's new book, Drink Better Beer, is out. We've been looking forward to this episode. Uh, so, Josh, in the book... You had quite a few New Yorkers in there. I know you had Chris McClellan who worked for Guinness. But you, I, guess, you, yeah. I asked you, who, you know, who to invite, and you made a point of inviting Jason Saylor uh, from Strong Rope and Drew from Circa. I know there's a picture of Circa in the book. Why did you invite uh, Jason Saylor to be on the show? I, I
3: owed him a favor.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
3: um, what about Jason? Um, he knew not,
1: you wouldn't insult him. Yeah.
3: No,
2: I've, I've known I'll,
1: Jason I'll for a
3: long him. time, and I think... Uh, I think when we're talking about kind of the future of beer and how you separate yourself, I think Jason's really at the forefront of where we're going right now, too. It's just that hmm, everything is so copycat right now out there that you make a beer and that beer will be imitated immediately. It'll be immediately imitated. You know, with like Brute IPA is a great example. So bone dry, effervescent beer style came out in the Bay Area, I think the end of like 2017. And then within like months you start seeing this. We beat. did a show where that's the first time I ever knew about it. But you saw it being <laughs> imitated around the globe, so nothing beer styles can't grow up anymore. They can't be like, I'm a little beer style. I'm gonna find my footing mm. in the world. Yeah. It's like go off and run, you tiny little larva <laughs> and go find your way. So everybody approaches that. But I think it's when the copycat world, how can you separate yourself? And so I think like I think it's Tarwar is such a crappy word to use, but it's the only thing we have. But I think – and local is not a great word either because local means nothing except it's made in your backyard. Local has somehow usurped quality as a way of talking about beer, that local – local yeah, that
1: doesn't That matter. couldn't be true, actually. Local it's best stuff, really too. But true. I
3: think what Jason's trying to do is using um, – what the things we should be thinking about are how do we cut down on these – like. These supply chains. How do we do things? How do we push beer forward in a way that's sort of like sustainability, fiscally responsible, and also can you know like unique beers too? And like I'll be I'll be real. Like Jason's beer in the beginning, he was trying to make something with ingredients that were not great, and so in the beginning, like the hops and the malts were not really as fine tuned as they are now. And so I've been able to really watch Jason evolve. And I think, you know, it's funny people are like, oh, I'm drinking a New England IPA at Jason's brew, but it doesn't really taste like a New England IPA. But I'm like, this is literally made with New England ingredients, <laughs> and so, but it's just this idea we're uprooted from any sort of geographic understanding of what beer is. That Czech pilsners are being made everywhere.
4: And to be fair, I, I don't ever call one of our IPAs a New England IPA because we don't we don't consider it. It just it just happens to be a little hazier. Yeah. uh but it's yeah I just, new york is not i don't i don't want to we'll, i don't we'll emphasize <laughs> that too. i don't yeah. want to say that we brew a specific style we're not going for it because we don't have citra uh cascade or citra mosaic simcoe galaxy so we don't have some of the major hot players uh with these with these beers um uh, but anyways, sorry. yeah
3: no i was gonna say so i think like with the malt things all together these are things i think are gonna be super important issues going forward like how do you create something that's unique i mean and I think that's what I think that's what's super important to me. And I think with uh, you know bringing Drew on too, we're talking about you know beer food. Beer used to be served with mozzarella sticks, chicken wings, and like greasy, terrible pizza. You go to Circo, you get pretty elevated pizza. You get other amazing salads, things From like that too. From scratch too. From scratch. And so I think it's sort of um, these two concepts that are happening right now. That beer food is becoming, you know, brew pub food is becoming amazing. And I want to bring them on too because I think these are the ways forward that. We're finding ways of how do you separate yourself? It's a taproom experience. and the taproom experience, your beer has got to be unique. If you bring people in have great food to pair with great beer too and you so when it's not a complicated recipe but it's not been something uh, that's it, been... and it's
1: not something new it's farm to table we've been at farm to table since the 90s it's the process of bringing the beverage alcohol industry into the same concept and we uh we learn to appreciate it that much more when we learn to appreciate where it comes from as uh, i'm lucky enough at circa my brew house is directly behind the bar if you're there at lunch. You're watching me mash out because that's what's going on, and that's what you see. There's no walls. There's not even a glass wall. You're literally there, and I'm there. Turning around to you, I could sweat on you, although I guarantee you don't want that. Uh, but but the the beauty of that is is that connection, that community vibe. That's that loc. Not even locavore. Beyond locavore, an experience type thing.
2: So you know, Jason, tell us about like that community vibe. I mean. This guy Drew worked for you at some point. Hmm. Tell us what that experience was oh, like. I tried my, like. my best. Tried you, my best. You've also had a lot of, there's a lot of guys that were homebrewers. They're coming up through the ranks. Yeah. Let's talk a little about that because, I mean, J- Josh really also seemed to gut his roots with the homebrew. Well, community. yeah. I mean, like,
3: I think like uh, I think the homebrewing aspect it was. I mean, I think what we don't really talk about enough with New York City is that the scene is so home, it's is built by homebrewers that we're the only ones, people that live here understand it's going to take like ass-nine amounts of money to Create any concept in New York City, and like homebrewers are the ones that took the risk and made it happen.
1: Uh, most homebrewers outside of New York City ask me, How the hell did you ever do that in New York City? <laughs> yeah, too? I mean, they're amazed that we have a yeah. small It's apartments.
3: a person that that perseverance we all had to make it happen, I think, is really strong, and I think it makes us all stick together. I mean, and Jason's yeah, dead, a and great be- example.
4: Before the, the taproom kind of before you were able to serve through the taproom, there were only so many breweries in the city, so. You were either a home brewer or you were one of the few people that actually worked in one of the breweries. And this was two thousand ten or so and so there wasn't a ton of breweries. But then kind of things started to progress. The whole scene changed. I mean, this is before that even. But like twenty
2: fourteen. But the then you no, know,
4: it started changed two thousand 2012, like it really started to change, and a lot of the breweries, a lot of the breweries that were kind of uh, uh, home to all of the people that would then go on open breweries. Brooklyn had some people. Kelly and Kelso totally had a a whole slew of brewers go on to open breweries, Uh, and then you had a whole, um, a whole, a bunch of home brewers that had been trying to uh, open for a while, open around that time. You know, it was us, strong rope, and KCBC had a lot of. They had both homebrew and uh, professional experience. Other half has obviously had some, uh, some, some. You know, lineage to Kelso, and uh, but Wild East now, and Finback, and just a lot kind of, of everybody. But
2: on that note, just tell us, like, so what's it like when you get an intern? Like, uh, like oh, that I, would, so I want a specific a Sorry, silly lawyer who has to show up on a
1: certain <clears> day. <throat> you know, yeah, who why, why did you give him I a chance? I literally called in, don't tell my old judge. I literally called in sick <laughs> a couple days to come in. I and mean, work for
4: him. we, you know, he, he he sold us on him. Like we wanted, you know, he he came and he was he was. Uh, you know, he persevered and, and actually like kind of kept back. The The worst thing I see about people coming nowadays is they want to uh, they want to get into brewery. And all of a sudden, like they, they even if you don't have any any uh, experience, they're just going to start being like um well you know they don't they don't really push it and 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 drew was willing to to push and try because it's what he wanted to do so he he saw his dream and what he wanted to do and get out of law law. and so he was able to uh to make that happen and and you know he was part of our homebrew club and uh so you know and we we just took him on from there and and he went and, and just quick to get this in
2: we you poured a second beer what's that beer uh, that was just Trophy Cat. Sorry. Uh, more so trophy cat. we're doing Trophy Cat. <laughs> trophy cats. And then Josh, two. what did you pour? Uh, I did an <laughs>
4: event over, the to, over at
3: over uh, Sam Adams last week. Gosh, I've been everywhere. Yeah, this is their like brewery tap room exclusive fest beer, like a great fest beer. Yeah, I mean, fest beer light, not not as like amber, multi rich as like the Meritzen But uh, yeah, we want to get back with for a couple best. of these.
2: You know, you, con- con- just building on, on the books or going back to Drew. So, Drew, tell us you, you the, the quick story. You took a course about beer online. What course was that? Yeah, so Internet.com. <laughs> Internet.com
1: uh, backslash beer, backslash <laughs> become a brewer. No, it was Auburn University. We were lucky enough to have professors who were PhDs in all their fields, hospitality, um, microbiology, everything you can think of that goes into owning and operating a brewery. Um, and then they were all homebrewers at the same time. And we're lucky enough that the founder of, uh, uh, Oscar Blues, Dale's Pale Ale, the Dale from Dale's Pale Ale, was a dual Auburn graduate and so helped support the program. And I couldn't be more thankful. It's what put me in touch. Well, I was already in touch with Jason, but allowed me to actually have credibility to my internship, working with Jason and, uh, writing business plan, learning more about the process. But really, I have to say though, it was the actual physical Immersion of the beer culture that started. You don't know how to be a brewer until you learn how to do your first tri clamp.
2: Yeah, and so Josh, like back to the book. So yeah, other seminal moments like that, like just seeing the rise of, of more beer education. You know, training for brewers. Mm-hmm. Um, was there anything like like that that you covered in the book?
3: Um, training for brewers, not so much. I don't know. I think that training for brewers is so specific it's about almost, like,
1: it's got to be apprenticeship at, at got, to some it's degree. It's so specific. Man. I didn't really, really see the
3: need to tap down. I mean. If I told you about draft line cleaning, would you? Would most people care? <laughs> and I, mean, I would, but like, I'm not most people. It's a, it's a people. very important thing. So I really want to talk about, I think just making sense of where we're at right now is really the key thing for me too, that, you know, how are we making strides in diversity in the beer world too? Like, how can you truly separate yourself? It's like, what, what are we differentiation? Why are we cottoning to like Norwegian yeast? How are these things doing? And so I think I tried not to basically date it by being like, drink these five beers that are sold today. I think... We've got two sections in the book where we actually call out beers. One was Mitch Steele being like, here are the IPAs you forgot um, about that were so instrumental. And I think that's really our historical memory for beer. is so short right now. You know, it's been around – well, craft beers been around for like 40 years. That's nothing. That's literally nothing. And we're talking about the sale and the closure of these brands. like how many brands can you name in America that live to be 100 years old? I mean, we we chew things up. We celebrate things, chew them up, spit them out, and that's just the country that we're in. And so – we forget that we're talking about this construct that's like four decades old, and even within that there's been so much seismic change, back and forth. And so for me, it's just
1: uh, compared to Bill, uh, beer yeah. stories from like Gilgamesh too. Like uh, you know, like uh, craft beer is only four decades old compared <laughs> to centuries upon centuries Centuries
3: and like yeah, centuries of stuff. And it's like we're having these IPA wars, and it's like it's like a it's like a blip. <laughs> and a timeline of what beer mean, If I if I, I
2: stop paying attention to social media, I might miss a whole trend. Is that a bad thing? I don't know. No. But Josh, okay, back to the book. No. We're going to tighten up um talking about styles, there is a forgotten style that you featured in the book which I loved and you, and you mentioned amber beers. Just amber ales in general. I mean, there you know, there's there's this idea,
3: you know, back when craft beer really took off, there's like the color beers. You had like a a brown ale and a blonde ale and like your dark stout and you had your amber and we drank kind of by the color wheel it's like i would like this color (laughs) and this color it symbolizes this flavor and amber ales have always been so intensely food friendly and approachable a little bit of that like caramel sweetness together they're not a beer that you're just like gosh this is terrible what is wrong with this beer it's like i like some sweetness i like a little bit of breadiness i like all these things all together and i think it's just sort of a reminder that as fads come and go, some things shouldn't just be discarded. And beer brewing is nothing but cycles upon cycles upon cycles. And so it's like at this point right now, amber ales and brown ales have kind of fallen out of the the popularity paradigm. But eventually they're going to come back and that's that's it. And so I just want a reminder that what we think is boring is only boring because it's been around. But what the bigger issue I think right now is going to happen that we're talking about with beer is that breweries are reaching kind of Breweries are old enough to, you know, kind of, they're 20 years old, 30 years old. And so their core products are now being branded as stuff like, you know, oh, that's a beer that your dad drank. Even though it's a craft beer, it's like your dad's craft beer. So how are you as a brewery, like Harpoon, Deschutes, and onward, trying yeah, to, how do you, how do you sort of like fight that dad beer idea? Not that's a bad thing. I'm a dad. You My start to
1: see that too in the rebranding for some of these beers. Fat Tire doing their, or uh, New Belgium doing their rebranding. Uh, um, Samuel Adams doing the rebranding too. It's fascinating to see how they're now evolving even, at, as they're becoming the "quote unquote" dad beer.
3: Yeah, we have Captain Lawrence here. The brewery's like a decade, like yeah, 12, 13 even, years yeah. old. But they've like how many branding iterations have they right. gone through with some of their labels? And that it. sense, like how do you keep people excited and engaged and not just like toss out everything because it's?
4: And I don't think I don't think that, I mean I don't think that we need I mean I there is a there's a desire for some of those things. Our biggest seller. Outside of our taproom is our our red ale, uh, Blood of Gods. Um, well, for good reason. That's that, <laughs> a fantastic beer. <laughs> I mean, but that's but, like but, also like an amber color. It's a, it's, yeah, an amber, so it's, it's an amber. It's actually beer. it's actually deep, deep. Uh, it's almost mahogany uh, kind of. It's it's a much darker red, and there's actually a little bit more um, some some darker roasts in there to 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 kind of uh, add some some. Uh, kind of, you know, a, a sharpness, a, a back end to it uh versus it being totally sweet. So we've kind of played with the style, but it is people, something that people want and, and find that they like. And, you know, our accounts are, are loving it and it, it goes over really well. So people are still, people may have forgotten about them for a lot because a lot of people don't do them, but they are they but, are but, finding
3: them. But it's a market niche, man. You can do that. I mean, we... I was drinking a story recently about talking. I think it's good beer hunting. Talked about like pumpkin beers, and it's like how a lot of people abandoned pumpkin beer, but it's like just because like we deemed it not cool doesn't mean that people don't want to still drink pumpkin beer. So the brewery is still doing it. Maybe they've reined in their sort of expectations and
1: hopes. But they're still selling pumpkin beers. Or like, like Jason and I, we both switched to squash. Well, I don't know if you had done pumpkin. Uh, this, I this, never. I mean, I mean, it's this year has no, been beer, all about. Yes. Ap-
3: it's been funny. This year's been about apple pie and apple cobbler beers. So. I have heard that. Yeah, yeah so Even it's been it's so, so funny. It's out, like yeah.
2: we're going to, you
3: know what? You're done with pumpkin, let's just switch over to some apple <laughs> cobbler.
2: Same spicing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's, it's always, literally it's the the winter is going through the,
4: the, the desserts of Thanksgiving, basically. Yeah, it, 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 like, it so is. So it's, it's going to jump to... Is, bl- everybody everybody's going to be
1: making a Bita pecan beer. So. <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> that's basically yeah. what's going to happen. But no, there is.
4: But then
3: how do you make pecan beer? Like, what do you do that? But I mean, that's also like the pastry shot rise. Pecans and beer don't have a lot of flavor. So to actually get pecan flavor, you've got to like use artificial
2: pecan flavor to put right. pecan flavor into beer. And it's just this pursuit of. And do you even know what pecan is? You might think it's something sweet with some kind of sugar custard. But now like, we're getting
1: into the what, matrix. What, Am so, I eating this steak? So I does, don't even know what's yeah, going
2: on. That's the issue. What does pecan taste
3: like? It tastes like a pecan. Pe- the word pecan means nothing. I mean, they, what, you, you're really thinking about the words like vanilla, the flavors. pecan,
2: Brazil nut,
3: walnut. Yeah. What different. if I say the word like or like you know the spirit tastes orangey? What does orange taste like?
1: But that that goes totally into the the point of tasting beer, too. And I I know this is a a slight deviation, but sitting there and actually processing the flavors that you're drinking is a totally different process than slinging one back. You bring up the the blind uh, taster in in your book who is... Well, probably one of the most fascinating sections for me, but I'm just I'm intrigued because that's what I had to do going through school, and and even that's why I downloaded on Tap to begin with. Is now I have to write out what I actually think. There's a mm. change as a former psych major from my taste center and my verbal processing center, and that's the neurotransmitter buildup that you need to develop to be able to explain. Wait, this.
2: so wait, so you you have you featured a blind. T- uh, so you taster. said you read the book, Jimmy. Oh, you literally said you read the book. <laughs> I called him <them> out.
1: Yeah. <laughs> anyway, no,
3: the point, Hobie Wedler, fascinating guy, uh, born blind. You know, we think that he turned to sort of disability and extra special ability to be a sensory specialist. And so the way he described to me when I was interviewing him is just that our eyesight is our largest sensory input, usually around like 80, 85 percent, give or take. And that leaves a pretty small slice for our nose, for touching everything. And one of the examples he gave to me was sort of the moon. It's like, you can see the moon. And you're like, I know the moon. That's the moon. But what's it feel like to be on the moon? What's the moon That was arguably
1: one of the most impressive eye-opening parts of the book to me, too, is to think about that.
3: Yeah, but think about that. It's like we know know so much about, we think we know so much what we can see. We take a picture of a beer on Instagram, like, oh, that looks like gravy. That looks like this. What do we know about that beer? We know absolutely, absolutely nothing. (laughs) So it's just like, I think with the idea that we trust our eyes too much and we don't take I don't want anybody to have to sit there and spend like an hour like analyzing a beer, like PhDing it up for your beer review. Maybe mean, but take two seconds. Like, oh, what's that taste like? Is that the way? Do I like that flavor?
1: Yeah. To be fair, I phd it, but that's only because I was nerdy about it. Not you don't have to do. <laughs> but that. you have
2: a master's certificate. Master's what, what? certificate. So not a in PhD. What? Say it again.
1: And a juris Liar. doctorate. So you know. Yeah. At ob- okay, I so have last a master's degree in
3: beer.
2: <laughs> We're switching it. And everyone has great T-shirts on. One thing, uh, congratulations, it. Drew! You did not bring beer, but you have your Circle Brewing. I had to wrap the T-shirt. Drew, 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 J- Jason brought. Drew just got to drink it over the dra- drink. Got to drink it over and the and bar, guys. Got to drink it over the bar. And Josh has his book. But Josh, last thing, so, so the book tour. Squish. So you know, for our listeners, are there any places you're going on the book tour that a you recommend for our listeners, or b that are either favorites or might be new, new experiences for you?
3: Good question, Jimmy. Um, We want to know where you're going to be, bro. (laughs) Oh, you know, I think right now I'm kind of like wrapping up. Um, I think slowly wrapping up. I'm going to be in Chicago at Hopewell Brewing on uh, December 9th, I think. Talking about sort of the future of beer. But it's been fun just getting to beer cities. Like I've got my, I was at Sunderland's Beer Company in Pittsburgh doing an event last week and I spent like entire day just wandering around random pittsburgh i'm like what's pittsburgh like let's walk its back alleys and so for me it's interesting to walk around all these cities and see how you know these post-industrial or these like post-industrial neighborhoods have been reinvented and just like how development infills with brewing all together i mean like in New York City, we have Gowanus, which is one from being the place you ran through, <laughs> not being the place that you drink your way through. Now and you chase swim and... through the canal, right? Isn't yeah. that what happens? No, but yeah, I'm just but, kidding. <laughs> but yeah, I think I had a great time in Pittsburgh. Um, I was up in Maine, did a great thing with like Allegash, but checking out the Portland beer scene again is always a blast. I mean, I don't know. I think I think it's hard just to call it a single city because I think what's happening now is that every city's got a beer scene now, but it's about investigating what makes it unique. And oftentimes people are like, "Oh, this hazy IP producer is pretty awesome." I'm like, "Okay, well, that's great," but that's just <laughs> yeah. bringing Sorry. what's hot. It's like everybody having a poke restaurant. It's like oh, we got poke. We're popular. We can do it up. So I think right now it's about checking. For me, it's just checking it out. What's unique? What's super cool? And um,
1: look for those loggers. Yeah, look that's for the, all lo- I say.
3: Dirt. You know, everybody I talk to, like again, we didn't stop drinking loggers, and that's where that's where things are going to be. Who knows if that yeah, everywhere. just give
1: it a try in the first one just because that that's gonna be your measuring stick for the brewery. If that yeah. can taste good, then you have you're gonna have a great time. If that doesn't taste good, be worried the deeper you go in.
3: I just think I just think it's easy to get like I always tell people it's easy to get drunk. Like getting drunk's probably one of the easiest things you could do on a daily basis if you tried. I mean, like not or didn't even try at all. But I mean for me, I like to enjoy <laughs> beer, so I try to like balance it out. So finding it it took me a while, I guess, to recognize the beers that spoke in whispers and that shouts. I think shouting gets your attention with the big, bold flavors. But nowadays, I think See, that... that's
1: why you're the writer. That was a wonderful line. Spoken <laughs> whispers. <laughs>
3: Wizard Such fingers. Yes. Love it. Love uh, <laughs> it. But that's, but that's why I think uh, that's what I want these days. Like, I don't know. What about you, Jason? Wait, you it's, it's beautiful. But J- yeah, let's, let's start well, wrapping up. It's beautiful. Up, so Jason. Well, it's beautiful but we're done. <laughs> Quick. Something.
4: <laughs> what, uh, yeah. No. I mean, I, I'll just Thank say, you. I mean, lagers are amazing. But you know what? We need to elevate some, 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 some basic, uh, ale styles as well. Don't, don't sleep on blondes. Don't sleep on, you know, a, a well-made pail. Don't sleep on like there's, there's a December lot of... December 10th, we're ambers. doing an Abbey Ale
2: show with the, the beer experts from Beer Table. So go. Yeah. Oh, like I just,
4: I think there's, there's, Boggers are, are amazing. And, but they're also, you know, it takes time and it takes, uh, some, some capability to do and... And people just kind of plow through ales because they're easy, and they throw them out, and they they do whatever. But it's like you know what? Like let's let's refine these things so that they are uh, you know sought after on all types of scale. Whether it's your four point two percent blonde ale or your you know whatever uh, twelve percent barley wine uh, uh, saison. Mixed firm, uh, I don't know. Whatever. Like, there's a lot to there's a lot to to take. Um. Uh, guys Double this has been a great. Ha- this has been a great uh, show, beer, yeah.
2: and I'm just so glad you all came on, Josh. <laughs> Drew, Drew wore a shirt. I am. <laughs> Drew wore shirt. I'm so yeah, proud Worsher, of your book. Thank God. And <laughs> thank the the range of the hundred experts that you you tapped more for like 150.
3: Just stopped counting because like I knew somebody was gonna be like. You didn't have a hundred experts. You had ninety seven. So or you didn't have like 140. To, like I just like you know, I was just like
1: I'm just they gonna were like probably a lawyer.
3: Uh, yeah, probably <laughs> a lawyer that would do that. But just kinda cut it down and, It's that uh, but we're all great book, experts. drink
2: better beer. So everyone, one more time just say your name, where you're from, and let's wrap it up.
4: I'm
3: Josh Bernstein, I live in Brooklyn and I wrote a book. All right,
4: drink better beer. Jason Saylor, I also live in Brooklyn and I own a brewery.
2: Which one? <laughs> so sorry, yeah, stronger book. <laughs>
1: And i a t shirt. I live in Brooklyn. I'm wearing a t shirt. And I <laughs> am the head brewer at Circa Brewing. Co. Circa
2: Brewing, downtown Well, you guys, thanks so much for joining me here on the Heritage Radio Network. If you have questions for us at Beer Sessions Radio, email us at askbeer gmail at gmail.com. We'll answer on the air. In the coming weeks, we'll be talking about the Common Roots Rebuilt next week, breweries that opened in 2019, and the Belgian-style ales. So send in your questions for the experts. I'm Jimmy Carboni. Thanks to our producer, Dylan Hoyer, and today our engineer, Matt Patterson. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you next time on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. Woo! Drink better. Beer Sessions Radio is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network Food Radio, supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter Enter your email at the bottom of our website, HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can also find us at Facebook.com/slash Heritage Radio Network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization